No discussion of the Holy Bible can be complete without mentioning Jesus of Nazareth, known to Christians as the Messiah or Christ. From the Christian perspective, God's plan included Jesus Christ from the very beginning, and therefore the Holy Bible from start to finish is the story of this Son of God. Because I grew up without being indoctrinated into the Christian faith, I have always approached Jesus from a more skeptical point of view, regarding him as a teacher first and reserving any expression of faith until I had the opportunity to verify the truth of his teachings. Today, I want to begin discussion of the Sermon on the Mount from the Gospel according to Matthew. This sermon is the central thesis of Jesus' teaching. And it was reading this sermon over 20 years ago, which marked the beginning of my relationship with this great teacher. Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the multitudes, he went up unto the mountain. When he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people reproach you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, with what will it be salted? It is then good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the feet of men. You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do you light a lamp and put it under a measuring basket, but on a stand, and it shines to all who are in the house. Even so, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill for most certainly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not even one smallest letter or one tiny pen stroke shall in any way pass from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever shall break one of these least commandments and teach others to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever shall do and teach them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, there is no way you will enter into the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the ancient ones, you shall not murder 
and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause will be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, will be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of Gehenna. If, therefore, you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are with him on the way, lest perhaps the prosecutor deliver you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and you be cast into prison. Most certainly, I tell you, you shall by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who gazes at a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it away from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into Gehenna. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into Gehenna. It was also said, Whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorce. But I tell you that whoever puts away his wife except for the cause of sexual immorality makes her an adulteress. And whoever marries her when she is put away commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the ancient ones, you shall not make false vows, but shall perform to the Lord your vows. But I tell you, don't swear at all neither by heaven, for it is the throne of God, nor by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shall you swear by your head, for you can't make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Whatever is more than these is of the evil one. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist him who is evil. But whoever strikes you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone sues you to take away your coat, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and don't turn away him who desires to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who mistreat you and persecute you, that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? If you only greet your friends, what more do you do than others? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect.
The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's spiritual boot camp, where he lays out the fundamentals of how to live a spiritual life as a citizen of what he calls the kingdom of heaven. Jesus begins his sermon in verse 3 by addressing his audience with a series of blessings known as the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This includes those who are materially impoverished, as well as those who are humble and receptive to the authority of a higher power. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. On the surface, Jesus offers comfort and solace to the downtrodden, which is a fitting opening for the good news which is to follow. However, on careful reading, you will notice that he's not actively blessing his audience. Rather, he's letting them know that they're already blessed. The poor, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, are already in a blessed state precisely because of their suffering. When you suffer, it brings your desires into focus. When you're hungry for change, that is when you are the most teachable. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. When you have the right intentions, that is when you are able to see God and regard him as a father. It is the desire for peace and unity rather than for conquest and victory, which identifies you as a true child of the father. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people reproach you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus warns his disciples that he intends revolution and that they should expect persecution for following him. However, Jesus says this is something that should be celebrated because great is your reward in heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? The Hebrew word for heaven, shemim, literally means names, but usually is understood to refer to the sky or that which is above. It's the source of the light we see by and of the air that we breathe. Most importantly, it's where ideas live. Because whenever you communicate an idea, it literally travels through the air on its way to the ears of whomever you're talking to. When Jesus tells his followers that they are blessed, this is true for two reasons. Number one, because they're present and they're able to hear his teaching. Number two, because they are so hungry and thirsty for change that they will actually listen. He continues. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its flavor, with what will it be salted? It is then good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the feet of men. 
a mysterious saying with multiple meanings. One meaning is, you are valuable. Salt was used as a form of currency throughout the Roman Empire. Salt was also used as a preservative. And Jesus was explaining to his disciples that it will be up to them to preserve his teachings for posterity. What does it mean for salt to lose its flavor? Jewish law says that you can't eat meat while there's still blood in it. And salt flakes, known as koshering salt, were used to cover the meat and draw out the blood so that it can become kosher or fit to eat. This is due to a chemical and material property of salt, which makes it absorbent, just as Jesus' disciples were eager to absorb his teaching. However, once salt has been used for this purpose, it can't be reused to flavor your food because now it's contaminated with blood. Salt that has lost its flavor was a reference to the Jewish temple bureaucracy who was content with the status quo and had no motivation for change. To take the metaphor further, this corrupt temple bureaucracy had sucked all the blood out of the sacrificial meat and was now good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the feet of men. You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do you light a lamp and put it under a measuring basket, but on a stand, and it shines to all who are in the house. Even so, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus reminds his disciples that this is the ignition point of a revolution. He and everyone who follows him will be bringing light into a dark world. Don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For most certainly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not even one smallest letter or one tiny pen stroke shall in any way pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whosoever shall break one of these least commandments and teach others to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever shall do and teach them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, there is no way you will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Despite Jesus' revolutionary intentions, he insists that his mission is in strict adherence to Scripture and that his own ministry represented a fulfillment rather than an overthrow of current law. The scribes and Pharisees are the temple bureaucracy mentioned earlier. Jesus is explicitly holding his disciples to a higher ethical and moral standard than the scribes and Pharisees, who held high esteem in Jewish culture. You have heard that it was said to the ancient ones, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause will be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, will be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of Gehenna. Now we're getting to the meat of Jesus' moral code, 
which essentially states that it's not enough to only avoid committing crimes. You need to strive for ethical perfection. This means getting your thinking in order so that your actions can follow the good example set by your thoughts. The word raka means empty or stupid. And the second you start calling your brother stupid, you are already putting yourself in danger of the fire of Gehenna. The fire of Gehenna is often translated as fires of hell in English. I'm glad that the World English Bible from which these quotes are taken leaves it as Gehenna. Gehenna, or the Valley of Hinnom, was an actual place. It was a ravine where people disposed of trash as well as the dead bodies of animals and criminals in fires which burned more or less continually. It was also the site where some had practiced the abhorrent custom of child sacrifice. To be in danger of the fire of Gehenna was to be in danger of dying the ignoble death of a criminal, to be disposed of like a dead animal or garbage. Jesus was warning his followers that to have a hostile attitude toward your brother is to put yourself on a downward spiral that could very easily lead to having your own corpse thrown into the fire of Gehenna. Jesus was also well aware of the fact that his teaching would cause a rift between his own followers and those members of the Jewish establishment who would remain entrenched in the status quo. He was therefore warning his disciples that they needed to take extra care not to provoke their Jewish brothers needlessly by treating them as stupid, foolish, or inferior. This kind of hostility would only put them on the fast track to conflict, persecution, prison, and ultimately the fires of Gehenna. If, therefore, you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are with him on the way, lest perhaps the prosecutor deliver you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and you be cast into prison. Most certainly, I tell you, you shall by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Notice the intense practicality of Jesus' advice. Forget about the afterlife or trying to placate some imaginary being in the sky. That's not important. What's important is resolving your conflicts today. Your burnt offerings aren't going to make any difference if you can't be bothered to confront your problems now, in real time. No jailer is going to release you from prison just because you sacrificed a pigeon or lamb at temple a few days earlier. This teaching also applies to Christians. Neither eating sacred bread, drinking sacred wine, or putting your hard-earned money into a collection basket will ever be a valid substitute for repentance, forgiveness, and living truthfully with your fellow brothers and sisters. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who gazes at a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. It's the thought that counts. 
Remember the tenth commandment, you shall not covet. To live with the Father in the kingdom of heaven is to purify your inner life so that your actions can be in harmony with cosmic law. Put your inner kingdom in order. Be the emperor of your own inner life. If your right eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it away from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into Gehenna. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into Gehenna. Don't blame temptation for your shortcomings. A person's physical beauty should not be enough to motivate you to commit adultery. If someone fails to secure their belongings, it's not your hand's fault that you stole something. Just because you convinced yourself that you can get away with something, it doesn't mean you should do it. This kind of self-destructive belief pattern is what puts your body on the path leading to the trash fires in the ravine of the Valley of Hinnom. It was also said, whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorce. But I tell you that whoever puts away his wife, except for the cause of sexual immorality, makes her an adulteress. And whoever marries her when she is put away commits adultery. When you make a commitment to someone, follow through on that commitment. Don't back out simply because it's inconvenient to work out your differences. Again, you have heard that it was said to the ancient ones, you shall not make false vows, but shall perform to the Lord your vows. But I tell you, don't swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is the throne of God, nor by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shall you swear by your head, for you can't make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. Whatever is more than these is of the evil one. Cosmic law begins with taking care to communicate the truth. Always. To believe that honesty only applies when you are under oath is to live a watered-down disposable life destined for the trash heaps of Gehenna. As they say, your word is your bond. Treat it as something precious because it is something precious. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist him who is evil. But whoever strikes you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone sues you to take away your coat, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and don't turn away him who desires to borrow from you. This is the doctrine of turn the other cheek, which sent my head spinning when I first read it over 20 years ago. How can this be correct? When is giving an oppressor who has an advantage over you, an even greater advantage over you, ever going to be the right thing to do? All I can say is try it for yourself and draw your own conclusions. It takes tremendous mental discipline to do this without becoming passive-aggressive, but if 
I want to prove to myself that I am in control of my own destiny. This is how I do it. When I turn the other cheek, I prove to myself that no matter what the outward circumstances of a situation may be, it is I myself who ultimately determines who I am in that moment. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who mistreat you and persecute you, that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Pray for those who mistreat you and persecute you, that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. If you listen to the second segment of my conversation with Tom F., you may remember that I gave a pretty harsh response to the idea that someone, a Christian, might be praying for me. I use the words dumb and stupid to describe such behavior. Isn't it ironic that here I am explaining the doctrine of Jesus who gives the commandment to do exactly that? If there is anyone still listening who heard that segment and found it offensive or hurtful, I'm sorry. Despite the strong temptation for me to edit out that section of our dialogue, I believe the right thing to do is to let it stand and to allow myself to become the subject of today's lesson. Perhaps by recognizing my own shortcomings and allowing those who are persecuted by me to pray for me despite my hostility, I myself can grow spiritually from such merciful acts. Again, I apologize for my hostile attitude. I will try to do better in the future. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? If you only greet your friends, what more do you do than others? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. <laughs>